Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna Stair, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Sean Sadat, a fourth-year resident at the University of California, Los Angeles. Sean is from McLean, Virginia, and completed college at George Mason University. He then completed medical school at George Washington University. His academic interests include facial aesthetics and rhinoplasty. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to be on the podcast and to help contribute. So I'd love to start by hearing kind of a broad overview of your program. So UCLA, it's a very diverse program when it comes to training um, and exposures that you get throughout your training. It's a six-year integrated program. We don't have um, independent programs anymore. We used to until about two years ago, and then now we went full in- we've gone full integrated, so all six years are integrated residents. The way that our program works essentially is that for the first two years, you're really part of the general surgery curriculum essentially. But that being said, we still do about six months, five to six months per year, the first two years of plastic surgery. So it's a very plastic surgery heavy program, which uh, I think we are one of the more heavy programs as far as starting early on with plastic surgery. And then beginning your third year, you do pure plastic surgery onto the sixth year. As far as location-wise, the reason why I say it's a diverse program is just because we're in Los Angeles, which is one of the most diverse cities in the country, and you really, as far as both ethnicities and also socioeconomic status and culturally, you really get to get a good exposure to what kind of all walks of life by going to either the VA, dealing with veterans, or uh, going to the county hospitals versus being at the flagship hospital, which is Ronald Reagan, and then for our children's experience, we actually do go to CHLA, which is a big children's hospital in Hollywood here in Los Angeles. So we do a lot of our craniofacial work there for a couple months in our second year. So we kind of travel all over the city, whether it's the valley or in the city itself, and we get a really good exposure because of that. And that's what I really appreciate about the program. And you mentioned there are no independent residents currently. Are there fellows at your program? We've had one craniofacial fellow and one micro fellow, and then we also have two hand fellows that fall under the orthopedics department, but we work with them very closely because we actually have a very robust hand training program at UCLA. We pretty much do hand at least one month a year starting your intern year, and you actually do four months of it your fourth year. So you get a pretty extensive hand rotation. And actually, as far as fellows go, we are adding an extra microsurgery fellow. So we'll have two microsurgery fellows as of this year. There's a toss-up of having fellows. Sometimes there's a concern about a loss of case exposure or the autonomy in the case if the fellow's always doing it. But from my experience with the fellows, they've actually been really great. And the attendings who really garner the fellows are often pretty hands-off and really allow the fellows to do a lot of the educating to the residents. So we have a lot of education time with the fellows, and they're great to operate with, and they're really good about letting you do a lot. That's what I would kind of say. If there was a concern about there being multiple fellows for your case exposure, I really don't feel like it hurts us. And what are the research expectations like? They're pretty relaxed at UCLA about how much they expect you to do. They tell us to basically try and get at least one project or one publication per year. 
they're not, it's not like if you don't get the publication, you're not going to pass on to the next, to the next year, but um, it's just generally kind of to promote an academic environment. And there are definitely like, I myself, I'm involved in six or seven research projects, whereas I know certain residents, they'll have one research project. So it's really dependent on how you want to approach it. Yeah, I would say that one project per year is kind of the general requirement. And then they also like us to have one quality improvement project that we're involved with somehow to help improve patient care, improve the division, et cetera. Are there any examples of recent QI projects that have been successful for the department? Actually, one of them that I'm currently involved in is a project where we're basically creating uh, patient education pamphlets for breast reconstruction because at UCLA, a huge part of our volume at the Ronald Reagan Hospital is DIEP breast reconstructions. We probably do anywhere between three to 10 of them a week at times. We have a very very consistent protocol. Everything is really well thought out. And every day the orders essentially just update themselves at this point because we've kind of figured out that system. So for the QI project, what we're doing is we created a pamphlet where I actually did uh, medical illustrations for of all the different phases and types of breast reconstruction to basically be able to give to patients and their family members if you've ever sat in on a breast reconstruction consult, it's very extensive because you're dealing with a patient who's going through a really tough time when it comes to their cancer diagnosis, but you're also trying to help them see into the future and kind of look forward to a future where they can have a breast reconstruction done. And there's multiple options of implant versus uh, autologous-based. So this pamphlet essentially has now been approved by UCLA to be distributed to patients. So you really can do uh, whatever you want as long as it's really working to help patient education or patient outcomes. But most of the protocols actually that we have established for the breast reconstruction are also a result of QI projects done by residents throughout the years. And it really does help shape the way that the program approaches patient care. And what kind of support is available for disseminating your research around the country? We actually have a research coordinator who's hired uh, by the division, and they are typically someone who's going into medicine between undergrad and medical school. Right now, her name is Hannah Moore, and she basically will organize all of your projects for you. She'll really, they go through and essentially help you with the IRBs and help you with any step of the way. We also have a lot of medical students at UCLA that are very willing to help with projects. We essentially have a whole list of students that are available for projects that any of us can access and get in touch with. And then also attending-wise, you're paired up actually. When you start residency at UCLA, there's an official mentorship program. So you're paired up with an attending, and you can actually request an attending too if you know what your subspecialty is going to be at that time. And then each of those attendings will kind of just be your guide, essentially, through helping you establish the projects and writing up the manuscripts, et cetera, as you really kind of learn how to gain a foothold in the world of research. So you have a lot of resources in your hands at UCLA. It's just kind of more about how willing you are to really take advantage of them and use them to publish and get your projects going. And when you are accepted for you know, presentation, what kind of funds are available for you know, presenting your research? Pretty much our division, if you are presenting a project or presenting a paper at any conference, they will pay for you to go. They'll pay for your accommodations and your food and travel, et cetera, while you're there. I've gone personally to 
one to two conferences per year since I was an intern. The division is not really ever the limitation in going to the conference. The only time you might be limited is just because of your work schedule. Just being a junior resident or intern, it can be hard to request off at a certain given time. But the division themselves are extremely supportive of people going and presenting and just even going to conferences. And you actually do get from the division, I believe it's either 500, it's anywhere between 500 to $1,000, depending on your year of seniority, to go to a conference, even if you are not presenting. There is really a lot of opportunity to go to conferences and network, which is great. In what area of plastic surgery would you say that residents graduate with the strongest experience in? You get such a diverse training experience. It really depends on the class. I mean, I know we, we do have most people going into fellowship typically afterwards, but like this year we have one going into craniofacial, one going into micro, and one going into hand. Next year we have two going into hand, one going into micro. Every year kind of depends. A lot of our residents do end up, seems like, do end up going into the world of, a, somewhat going into the world of aesthetics at the end of the day in private practice, but it's really diverse as to how you come out because I think the reason for that is you have all of the aesthetics connections here in, you know, of course, like Beverly Hills and Hollywood and all of that, you can really see what the private practice world is like in the most competitive environment. But then also you have this massive academic center that does a ton of plastic surgery and is really involved in the world of plastic surgery. So I think it just, it attracts people who are drawn to both aspects of eventually going into either private practice or academics. So I don't think there's really one single specialty that people necessarily gravitate towards, but I think that's also just a representation of the diversity of training that we get. And how would you improve your program? The way I would improve the program is we don't actually have any set-aside elective time yet. I think that would be what I would like to see kind of coming into play a little bit more over the next few years. I think that's also just a result of us now being a newly fully integrated program. There is a big difference in how a program operates when everyone is integrated versus not just because with independent residents, they're at the program for a different purpose in the regard that they've already gone through their general surgery training and they have three years. They're not as much like looking for that family environment that you might be looking for with an integrated program. So I think when you're in a program for six years, at the end of the day, you want to have some choice of what rotation you're going to do. And I think our administration has been hearing that recently. But I think, yeah, if I were to choose one thing to improve about the program, it would definitely be just adding an elective block of two or three months, allowing us to kind of go out and about, either travel or et cetera, just get different exposure based on what we want to do. Do any of the attendings go on mission trips and ever have the opportunity to bring residents? We've had multiple residents who go on mission trips with one of our attendings, his name is Dr. Jerry. He does mission trips in Guatemala. He's a craniofacial surgeon, and he does craniofacial surgery down there, and we've had residents go down with him. We've also had residents go to the Philippines with one of our attendings. The only thing is they typically use their vacation time to go on the trip with them. But I know the two residents that I know who did it really had an awesome time. Granted, right now, I don't know what the travel opportunities will be with coronavirus, but hopefully once things start to get back to normal, I think. We'll probably, hopefully, be able to continue doing things like that at our own discretion. And you already started to talk a little bit about the cosmetic and aesthetic experience being in L.A. 
So are there specific months dedicated to cosmetic surgery or is it more of scattered throughout your training years? And is there a senior clinic of any kind? So your only official aesthetics rotation is your sixth year and your final year where you have four months of an outpatient surgery rotation where you're at Ronald Reagan. But during that four months, you have your own clinic uh, twice a week where you can do injectables and see patients and actually schedule people for surgery where you get OR time once a week and you're supervised by a community surgeon who comes in um, and is adjunct UCLA faculty. And you pretty much get full autonomy as to how you want to book the case, how you want to do the case. That is a great part of the experience. Otherwise, there is no official aesthetics rotation, but you do get a lot of sprinkles of aesthetics through each of the rotations, specifically also Ronald Reagan. You know, you do that anywhere between one to five months a year. So in that setting, we have one attending who does a lot of aesthetic surgery, a lot of rhinoplasty. So you might be staffed with him a couple times a week. So you do get a robust exposure to aesthetics. There's just not as much designated specific time for straight up aesthetics. Is there exposure to gender affirmation surgery? There is. Our program director and our chief both do a great deal of uh, transgender uh, mastectomies and breast augmentations. And then we have one attending, Dr. Lee, who she has uh, recently started doing a lot of facial feminization. We pretty much have one every week now that we're doing. So it's really been great to be exposed to that and really be on the forefront of that. And is moonlighting possible? No, they don't allow moonlighting for us. And are there any particularly awesome perks you'd like to share? We've actually recently unionized as of two years ago, and that has led to a lot of very beneficial negotiations that the union has done with UCLA in our, on our behalf. We get about $1,000 of education funds per year. Our division also provides us education funds to buy textbooks that we want. They're generally very receptive. If we want to get any supplies or something for our research projects or anything academic related, the division is very receptive to purchasing that for us. Any of the sites you go to, they all have food money allocated to you that you can use. And for the most part, I never really run out of food money. I barely spend money on food while I'm working, which is awesome. And then also something that's really nice is that we have a Uber credit. So on nights, especially in your first couple of years when you're doing 28-hour shifts or your Q3 in the hospital, you're pretty exhausted coming home the next day. So they actually allow you to take an Uber home and back to the hospital on UCLA's dime. So you're not putting yourself at risk by driving, which is really incredible. Is there free parking at the hospital? No, but it just comes straight out of your paycheck. So I just sometimes pretend like it is free and I just am getting paid $80 a month less, but <laughs> unfortunately it's not included. I'd like to hear a bit about your program leadership, starting with your chief. So our chief is Dr. DeLeo. He's awesome. He's a very kind person and very honest. And I really believe that, in, especially in residency where it's very hierarchical in medicine, Attitudes trickle from the top down, and Dr. DeLeo generally has like a very positive attitude. He's very encouraging to the residents. He doesn't really tolerate negativity in the program. He stands up to that pretty quickly. So he's really garnered an environment of positivity among the residents, and I think it really shows. 
so that's one thing I really have enjoyed about the program is having leadership that really embraces a sense of positivity and a sense of community in the residency because it's a long time to be with six people and to be working so hard together. So it's nice to have that sense of security from your chief. But he does mostly microsurgery and some aesthetic surgery. And we get to operate it with him a lot at, at Reagan, which is great. And how about your program director? Our program director, his name is Dr. Rudkin. He's also really very similar in the regard that he's very kind, is not inflammatory, and really, again, also trickles that attitude down to the residents. He's pretty receptive to hearing about concerns or complaints from the residents. We meet with him once every six months just to do like a general review. And him and Dr. DeLeo work together a lot. They're kind of like the dynamic duo when it comes to uh, running the program. I think they do a really, a really nice job of just creating a nice environment for us and making sure that our education really does come first. And are there any other notable faculty members you get to work with? Something unique we have is we have one of our attendings, his name is Dr. Rustein. He did a microsurgery fellowship and also did an aesthetic surgery fellowship. And so he does some breast reconstruction, but he also does head and neck reconstructions. And he does a lot of cosmetics, especially for being in an academic setting. It's not that common to have a surgeon who's so involved in aesthetic surgery. So that's what's nice is you really get kind of get to see this like private practice type model, the way he runs his practice and the marketing and the Instagram and all that that you know is relevant when you come out and go into private practice. Um, it's, so it's nice to see that. We also have our craniofacial team, which is awesome. Like I mentioned, Dr. Lee does the facial fem cases. And then we have uh, Dr. Cressera, who is our, the head of microsurgery. He started this program called Operation Mend, which is where uh, we do reconstructive surgeries on uh, war veterans. It's an awesome program, and just kind of getting exposure to that and seeing how that operates is really great. So you really get a, a very diverse profile of attendings training you, which I think is what leads to a very robust training at the end of the day. Can you tell me about a time when you brought up an issue to the program leadership and how they responded? Our second year of residency, there was a time that when I was on general surgery rotations, second year is kind of your most vigorous year when it comes to the call schedule and general workload. And there were just some concerns about hours violations that we weren't fully violating the hours, but we were kind of like individually, some of us were teetering on the edge depending on the rotation we were on. And that was brought up to my program director. And he very quickly, you know, emailed the general surgery program director, emailed, had me send a message essentially detailing out everything that was going on. And as a result, over the next few months, like policies pretty quickly were changed to ensure that we wouldn't have those issues. It didn't necessarily fix my issues with the, you know, with the rotation, but it just was nice to see that as a result, no one else really had to go through the same problem that I was going through, which I think lends itself to the general attitude that the residents have of not screwing someone else over beneath you just because you felt like you were screwed over. There's kind of this more of an attitude of like, okay, I don't like what's going on here. No one else should have to go through that, and I should be the last person. That kind of speaks to the nature of a non-vindictive environment that we kind of have at UCLA. 
you'll probably reiterate that again for this next question, but in terms of the resident culture and the relationships amongst the residents, can you go into that a bit? Honestly, that's kind of with, with all the, with the COVID issue, that's kind of where I feel it's tough, I think, for the incoming applicants. I wish they could come and kind of see what our residency program actually is like. Because I think if they were to come see it, generally the feedback we've gotten is that our residents, we're all very close. Some of my best friends are now in the program. My co-resident, Corbin, he's the same year. Uh, him and I, he's one of my best friends. I'm super close with the nurse practitioner on service. And, you know, so we, we all have a very close-knit relationship. And it's not like, oh, just because you're a six, you're not going to be friends with the intern. It's like, no, you know, everyone in the program will go out and is so excited to meet the incoming residents. It's not, you know, there isn't that hierarchical demanded respect, which is nice. There's a lot of humility in the program, which I really appreciate. And honestly, when you're in a program for six years, working so hard, you really want to make sure you get along with them. And I think at UCLA, that's what really drew me to the program as a med student was just kind of seeing how connected the residents were together. So now a little bit more about kind of just how residents live in L.A. Do most residents own or rent? In L.A., I would say most residents rent. We do have a couple of residents who own. It's more often usually because, you know, families will help them to purchase a place just because cost of living is very expensive in L.A. So to buy a house on a, on a resident's salary is pretty much impossible. We definitely have gotten improvements um, in our salary, like now our, our salary has gone up pretty significantly since I started. I know our intern salary when I started was around 52000 a year, and then it now is up to, I believe, like fifty nine, and then you get a 3% increase per year. And then also something that the union negotiated for us was the $1,000 a month uh, housing stipend in addition to your salary, which is awesome. It's not like New York in the sense that you're just going to get a shoebox for like, you know, $1,500 a month, but um, you can get a pretty nice place for around that same price. Yeah, people kind of live all over the city too. It just depends where your preference is. And that's what I like about LA is it's such a diverse city and has all these little boroughs and areas. Like I live in West Hollywood, but I know some people live by the beach in Santa Monica. Some people live downtown. Some people live in Westwood where... UCLA is. So that's what's nice. You really have a diverse area to choose from. Would you say that it's pretty necessary to have a car? We definitely need a car purely because also, like I was saying, you know, you're going either into the valley, you're going downtown, you're going by the beach, you're going into Hollywood, more inland, and our hospitals are just scattered everywhere. So there really isn't like a single place you can live that would allow you not to have a car. And in general, in L.A., it's culturally, it's just commonplace to have a car. So I think that's something to take into consideration cost-wise, too, is, you know, you pay rent, but you also have to pay car payments, typically. So that's just something to consider when wanting to move to L.A. What's the breakdown of the demographics among residents in terms of single people, married, kids, etc.? Most people don't have kids in our program. We have our graduating resident this year has two children, but as a majority, most people don't have kids. And then married or not is kind of half and half. I would say about 50% of us are unmarried and 50% are married. 
obviously the program is totally fine with <laughs> children. It's just more, I think, a product of a lot of people in the program have come straight through from undergrad to medical school into residency. So I think just timing wise, we haven't necessarily had that many people having kids. So what do you like about living in L.A.? I think what I love about L.A., just to start off, is the weather. I know everyone says that about L.A., but especially as a resident, when you have so little time outside of the hospital, knowing that you can leave the hospital and go out and just be outside, or even just while you're working, going in, you know, at Reagan, we have, like, access to the roof, to the helipad. I remember as an intern, I would, I would go up there and just, like, take a deep breath, get some fresh air, because it's always nice. Right now in L.A., it's a little bit cloudy, and that's considered just awful weather for us. It spoils you, but at the same time, when your life is already so difficult, um, when it comes to your schedule, it's just nice to have that not to worry about. Something I also love about L.A. is that there really is never a lack of things to do. Just the general diversity that you have in L.A. and the diversity of the areas in L.A., it allows for there to be somewhere for everyone to go. And, you know, it just depends on what you like. If you like going out in nature, there's hiking, there's, you know, we have mountains two hours away, people go skiing. Um, you know, you can also, there's a bunch of nightlife in LA that you can enjoy. So I think that's what I love about it the most is just that it's never boring. And it's very convenient when it comes to the weather. And I just, yeah, I've, honestly, it's my favorite city. And I'm very happy to be doing residency here just because you have so much to do on your off time. So that's about everything I wanted to ask about your program today. Any final thoughts either on your program or on the process of choosing a residency? With our program in general, I would say UCLA, something to know about the UCLA program, which drew me to it, is that and the attendings will tell you this too, is it's, it's a very robust program when it comes to resources available to any resident. But if the onus is really on you to take advantage of those resources, you know, you don't really, it's not a spoon feeding culture by any means. You know, you're not going to have someone like breathing down your neck being like, why did you miss this week's didactic session? Or why did you, why aren't you doing three research projects? They're kind of like, okay, all of this is available to you. Use it how you will. At the end of the day, you're the one who's going to benefit the most from it. You know, as long as you do your work and you get your training and come out a decent plastic surgeon, that's really what they care about. I think for someone who's looking for a program that is going to be very, you know, intense about being like me or milestones and this and that, I don't think that is UCLA. Um, but if you're looking for a program that really is, allows you to, kind of freely pick and choose the things you want to be in, uh, go into or be interested in, UCLA is a perfect place for that. And so just some general advice for anyone who's applying to residency. I think something I wish I had thought more about, and I'm, you know, I got lucky with matching where I wanted to go, but something to think about during the interview process is just remembering that although you're being interviewed, you're also interviewing the programs. You're also seeing where you want to be for the next six years. Um, and I know it's such a selective process that it's hard to look at it that way without feeling a little arrogant. But I think it's important just to think, okay, what is the type of environment I want to be in? You know, do you want a place where your hospitals are all going to be within, you know, within 100 feet of each other? Or are you okay with traveling around? Because there's pros and cons. So 
I think just looking as a whole at the city, you know, kind of trying to get in touch with some of the residents and, you know, get a sense for who they are, that's going to be the most important thing. And I think that's what really helped me to appropriately pick UCLA as my top choice. How can interested students find out more about your program? For our program, I would say, I mean, well, this podcast hopefully will be a good resource for them. Um, But also, we don't, because UCLA Health is very aggressive about their kind of having a hold on all the media, it's more difficult for for a program at UCLA to have like an Instagram page. But I would say a lot of the residents are like, we all kind of have our own social media pages where we talk about the program. And if anyone has questions, you know, I'm sure we'd all be happy if they were, we were messaged or gotten in touch with to answer their questions, talk to them on the phone, you know, and kind of help them decide. But yeah, I know our website has some information on it too, about kind of the general culture. Um, I would say the best way though, is probably just to reach out to one of us and kind of get a general sense of what it's like to be in the program from us. Thank you so much for speaking with me today, Sean. Yeah, of course. Thank you. It's really been awesome. Very excited to be a part of this. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.